The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by Relola. The Relola app helps agents leverage their local expertise. Create a beautiful interactive map of everything you love about your community, from businesses to listings to local features. Share it on Facebook and your website. And it's free for all realtors in 2018. Learn more at relola.com. Everything we take on has got to be the best for the end uh, user, if you will, and, and that being our clients. Is it going to help our clients? Is it going to help us interact with our clients? Is how we vet pretty much every piece of tech that comes out. Um, and so we know that it will never replace the phone calls. It will never replace the face-to-face meetings. But if it can aid in any way of, of making the transaction smoother, making communication better for our clients, we're willing to take it on. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 128 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I'm fresh back from New York City and the Inman Connect event up there. Uh, boy, if if it's not on your in your budget or on your itinerary for 2018, think about getting out to San Francisco in, in July. It's really an amazing event. And and that leads me to my guest. I, it's somebody that I, I knew about but had never met. Uh, and so Brian Hopper, who is the managing broker for RealLogic's Sotheby's International Realty in Seattle, uh, Brian was one of the ambassadors with me, and I got to meet him a little bit and have a conversation, but I want to know more. So uh, we've got him here on the podcast. Brian, welcome to the show. Bill, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited as well about him, and it was so good to meet you. I've, I have listened to your podcast. I've followed you, and uh, thank you for just inviting me to, to share in your success and be a guest today. I've interviewed, it seems like there's a lot of really smart people up in the Pacific Northwest, right? I mean, it's something in the water or something, I guess, because if you think about and you know who the people I'm talking about. When you've got Ann Jones and Marguerite and and Dale and and Kim and Chavi, it's crazy. Um, what's happening yeah. there? Yeah. Are you a, are you a native of the area? I am. Yes, born and raised. And uh, we we've seen a lot of changes here, and and I love it though. It's just become um, it's it's become home. Um, it, it took a while. I had to figure out, you know, growing up, or do I want to stay here? Do I want to go somewhere else? And I would leave on a ski trip or leave on a trip and come back and. And every time I came back, just in my early 20s, I thought, this is, this is home. I, I'm not going anywhere. And I just turned uh, 41, and we haven't left since. So besides the uh, short vacations, of course, to get in the sun. <laughs> you know, you talk, you talk about it. I grew up in Southern California, and there were a lot of people in the, let's call it the 80s oh, yeah. 90s that were headed your way. Talk about, you know, that, that influx and, and, and why are so many, you know, I know it rains a lot there, but people love it. Tell me why. People love it. They do. Well, I mean, the Seahawks, of course, right? I mean, that's, that's the first reason, you know, go Hawks. But secondly, secondly, it's, it's fantastic. We have four true seasons, I like to say. And we really have the best of both worlds in, in the sense of you can be right on the waterfront, drive an hour, and you are in the mountains. You drive an hour another direction, and the temperature goes up 15 degrees. So if it's just a little chilly on the Seattle side, we drive east of the mountains, and, and you can be up in in some sunny temperatures in no time and so it's just a fantastic place to live and it's been real exciting though bill just watching the region change kind of the amazon effect if you will and and we're starting to dub our city the the silicon forest just with the amount of tech startups and and everything that's really has spun off since uh since microsoft started here 
What are some of the other companies that are moving up that way? Well, you know, uh, Facebook is continually leasing more space up here. So we have a big Facebook presence in in my hometown of Kirkland, which is right outside of Seattle, uh, 10 minutes away. We have the third largest Google campus. And, you know, you get that synergy of, of that many amazingly smart people and the startups just follow, just like we saw in Silicon Valley. And that's happening here is where lots of little startups just starting to form little office pop-ups here and there. And, um, but, you know, beyond tech, though, we have what we like to call the original tech player is, is Boeing. I mean, they are the original um, tech industry here in the Northwest, and they're still a major employer. Right, right, right there at the SeaTac uh, Airport, right? Exactly, yeah. They have, that's uh, their main spot there, and, um, and they, yeah, they're still one of our, our largest employers of the area. And then we have some other great ones like, you know, Costco, of course, and and the best coffee, Starbucks, and and then that's debatable on what circle you're in. But uh, <laughs> but we love it here in the Northwest. So. <laughs> trying, to, trying to start some start a debate on the show. That's great. Well, well, I'm sure we'll get some replies. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly, I'll leave those to you to respond to. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned the Seahawks, and so you you said you're 41. So do you remember when the Seahawks were in the American Football Conference? Oh come on, Chuck <laughs> Knox, Kurt Warner, yeah, my man, my man Steve Largent, of course. Absolutely, um, you know. Jim, Jim Zorn, who might be coming back to the Hawks in, in a coaching role. Um, I, I, Bill, I, I love the 80s, and I love the Hawks of the late 80s. I grew up in San Diego, right? So uh, the Chargers and the Seahawks for many, many years played in the same division. Yeah. And it was the weirdest yeah. thing when they spun it off, and uh, we went from five teams in the West to four. But I'm sure the, the move to the NFC didn't bother you very much, uh, especially the way things have gone. Well, real recent, it's been uh, had to be a fun run. It's been a fun run, and and it's been. I mean, we're we're on a an interesting time with our defense. I'm I'm watching that closely to see what happens with our our roster there. I'm sure a lot of other people are too. But you know, bring it back to the Chargers. I, I was just in L.A. Uh, you know, for Inman Luxury Connect, and then um, you know, a little shout out for for Inman, but also for another conference. And Bill, what surprises me is I don't even think that city knows the Chargers are there. Yeah, you 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 you've opened a wound. You're you're picking at a wound. Here, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, as somebody born and raised in San Diego, L.A. is not not uh, not a place I like. It's just the way it goes. And I, you know, I, like I've been there many many you. times. But yeah, for the Chargers to move uh, up to L.A., I, I guess some people claim return to their roots because they started there in '60. Yeah, that that was rough. And you're right. It's a there was a reason football wasn't in LA for a really, really long time. And I think uh, LA loves a winner, um, but they'll struggle bringing fans out if they can't perform. Now, having said that, I think there's a really good chance that both the Chargers and the Rams make the playoffs next year. They're both looking good. And if Phillip can, you know, kind of have that one last hurrah, good for him. I mean, I love Phillip Rivers, but uh, not a big fan yeah. of ownership, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> well, and you got, you got your, you got your Padres. You got, you got those guys. They're a good group, obviously. Yeah. And so that's something to celebrate. That's, that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I grew up with the Padres. I grew up with uh, guys like Nate Colbert. Uh, was there when Gary Templeton got traded for Ozzie Smith. And I remember Tony Gwynn as a rookie. And, and Trevor Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Trevor Hoffman, who was uh, traded to us as a shortstop and turned into uh, the second greatest closer of all time. So you wow. and I can sit here and talk about this stuff for the next three hours. So. <laughs> Let me ask you this question because you you have a I'm I, I really we're recording this tonight is uh, tomorrow night's the opening ceremony for the uh, the Winter Olympics and you are sort of a 
winter sports fanatic, I'm going to call it. Um, and I want to guess that when 15-year-old Brian was thinking about what he wanted to be when he grew up, it probably wasn't a realtor. What, 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 was, what was your dream? What, were, what did you want to be? You know, uh, my, my plan B was if, if the Seahawks didn't draft me to be a receiver and line up alongside Steve Larson, my plan B was uh, I'd be a professional skier. Uh, plan, plan C was uh, to be a firefighter. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a plan B and plan C came through. And so that, that was it. But I grew up about 45 minutes from Crystal Mountain, which is an hour and a half south of Seattle. And, and that's what we did in that small town was, uh, was go up and ski every weekend and stay over in the mountain and ski the next day, rain or shine, we'd be up skiing. So, you know, just like anything, um, you put in the time and the effort and, uh, and it just becomes second nature. That's what happened to me with, with skiing. So let's go 20 years back. You're 21 or even 25 years ago. You're 16. You're at this point, probably an excellent skier. What, what was your discipline? Were you a downhiller? Were you a slalom guy? Were you on a snowboard? What was big for you? I didn't have a lot of money growing up, and and I was actually just showing pictures of my skis at the time uh, to my son. And basically, I, I always wanted to be a racer, and but we didn't have the funds to do the training for that. And so I ended up just basically doing um, a free skiing, we call it now, and that's just kind of getting out in the mountain, just ripping around and um, but I kind of honed that discipline in my, my late teens as that side of the sport became more popular, um, free skiing, it got a little more organized and, and basically what it was, Bill, is we'd go out in the backcountry and, and, and basically hit cliffs and do the steep terrain and the, in the eighties, the late eighties, they dubbed it extreme skiing. Um, and that's, that's mainly, mainly what I did. So you're the guy I would see who would come over the edge of a, uh, a rise and drop between two boulders down some like shoot of snow that would collapse behind you and chase you down the mountain. That that's pretty much what would happen every day of my life uh, oh my in, in my late teens. And uh, it, it, I worked nights, you know, any way I could make a buck uh, serving serving tables or working banquets, whatever it was, but to support that ski habit, and and that continued into my um, early twenties. Um, and, and I still, to this day, I still have my foot in the door. I'm a, I'm a brand ambassador for a couple of companies and, um, for my local home mountain, Crystal Mountain, I'm a, I'm a mountain ambassador and I just get to spread the good news about, uh, skiing in the Northwest and, and it's a fantastic life. I can't complain at all. Do you own a snowboard now? You know, my, my son was just asking me that, um, cause he just turned 13 and, and he wants a snowboard and I, I fully support it cause I know, I know he'll be back skiing as soon as he gets on that board but that's that's another story um but no i currently i don't own a snowboard i i just gave it away um basically at a garage sale i gave it for free here a couple years ago did how how good did you get on that thing i mean because i know when um when you got somebody who's who can excel on skis like you i wonder how difficult is there any part of it that transfers over i mean the balance part has to it's just you maybe you're leaning a different way <laughs> yeah you know half the battle is just is is kind of just the whole narrative of the mountain of how's this chairlift work? How am I going to carry them aboard? What's this snow like? And, and I think part of that is reading the snow conditions and knowing, is it going to be fast? Is it going to be slow today? Um, how to get off the chairlift and, and just, you know, how does an edge respond to the snow and all that carries over. And so I'd, I'd always grown up skateboarding and, and that seemed to help just with that sideways stance. But I, you know, I did enough build to know that um, it's fun, but it, it's not as fast as skiing. 
and you just can't get as many places. Right. I, I, that makes perfect sense. I've, um, did a tiny bit of skiing up in Southern California as I grew up. It was a lot of fun. Um, and when my wife blew her knee out at uh, Brian head in Utah, <laughs> the, the, skiing oh, career, the skiing career for both of us ended in 1987. So it was a long time ago. Uh, but, but enough about that. Let's, let's get, let's get to what the listeners are here for too. And that's to find out what you're doing in the world of real estate. And, uh, First of all, for many, many years, you've been a volunteer firefighter or a firefighter um, uh, as a career, but how did real estate kind of enter that picture? Well, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. So I, um, I, I was a professional firefighter and, and believe it or not, um, real estate was my side hustle. And I mainly did it to, um, to start out buying my own home so I could um, buy and flip them uh, while I was off duty from being a firefighter. And and I just got so into uh, the sales side of it that I started doing deals for um, from buddies around the fire station. And I mean, my first listing was was a buddy at the firehouse who said, "I'll, I'll wait till you get your license and then list my home." And um, and that's that's truly how I got my start. Was my first couple of years. I'm so thankful. Was was uh, I look back? It was all pretty much police and firemen um, who I worked with. And, and it was interesting because I was newer in the fire department. And so I didn't want to let these guys down in any way. And it, it, and it carried over to my real estate in the way that I executed how the transaction went, just because I, I did not want to have uh, my reputation tarnished by, by any means. And I, so I had built a good reputation in the fire department and cause reputation is everything in the fire department. And, and how much does that carry over to real estate? I mean, Bill, we, you've seen it just from from your position in the industry, right? Uh, you know, getting to look at it from the, the the side that you do, not not from the agent perspective, and and that reputation is everything. So I worked and hustled hustled really hard to make sure everything went well for those those um, initial transactions, and and that hasn't changed a bit. I, I sense a, uh, a a pattern here with the way you attacked the mountain, the way you attacked your work <laughs> as a firefighter, then the way you attacked your work as a realtor. Definitely some work ethic there. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking the parents did a good job of instilling some of that in you. Oh, they they sure did. Um, my dad's my role model, and and it was just huge. The uh, seeing him work hard, he did a different line of work. He was a welder, and and all I knew was I didn't want to be a welder. Right. Um, his weekends were spent working on on cars and to keep them running for our family of four boys and and I knew I didn't want to have uh, any car trouble so he taught me those two things right off the bat of what what not to do but at the same time um, he taught me hard work and and just really getting after it if, if it's something you want to do is have a plan and execute it so what year did you did you get into real estate I got into it in October of '04 so I, which I'm so fortunate because I got experience pre-recession and what that market was like. And, and it was, um, it was such a good experience. I'm, I'm glad I did get in when I did. Right. So let's talk about the market, uh, the recession, the dark days, 07, 08, as it starts. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? I, so I was in a very hard hit area in Arizona. How was it up in Seattle? You know, Seattle, it was very hard hit as well. It, it really was. We had um, a, a lot of builders had just taken on some large plots of land in the area here. And most of those builders are, have changed their name since then. And some of them are no longer in the area. Some of them retired. So we had a, it was a ghost town for a while. Um, the, the condominium market got hit hard too. I mean, we, in our city alone, Bill, so downtown Seattle, like Seattle proper, we had about a 10 year gap, a 10 year cycle gap of new 
vertically integrated communities being built. So condominium towers being built. And um, uh, 09, um, 2010 were, were pretty much the last time that we had completed condo towers go up until um, about this year. Wow. So uh, we're just now picking up uh, downtown um, Seattle proper with those, those condo towers. How long have you been the managing broker at Sotheby's? Um, so I, I got my managed broker's license. It has been five years now. Okay. So. And I was with, um, yeah, I was with K-Dub, with uh, the big red company before that, and then um, joined Sotheby's It's a little over three years ago. Was KW your first uh, brokerage? Is that where you started? It was, yes. Yeah. So Keller Williams is, is all I knew. And like a lot of people who started that time, I, I picked up uh, Gary Keller's Red Book. Yeah, and read that, and it inspired me. And then I had a, a friend of my wife's who was with the brokerage, and um, of course, she wanted to recruit me to to get that profit share. <laughs> and um, I'm so glad I did. It, it's the tools and systems I learned there are still things I use today. We see that a lot in the industry, right? People that have that started off there, they they're well known for the way they train uh, and instill those, you know, um, methodologies that can, you know, serve you the rest of your career. Um, but then you, you decided to make a change. You decided to then head over to Sotheby's. What, what drove that for you? Um, you know, it was interesting. Um, we were in, in transition, just my family side, my wife and I were looking to relocate. Um, we were on the South end of the city and we wanted to move to a different part of the city, kind of be closer to the downtown core and closer to some areas that we enjoyed where some, some of our favorite restaurants were and things like that. And um, an office just opened up and we must have walked by it the week it opened. It just caught my eye, Bill. It had a roll up glass door and a, and a big, a big blue sign that said Sotheby's. And, and, and I, I knew about the brand, um, but I think like a lot of people with that brand and, and not to plug on, on the brand itself, but just um, I didn't know much about it. And it was a little intimidating at first. I thought it was, you know, Heidi Fighty, if you will. It drew me in. I met the people, the nicest, most genuine owners here, and and I really wanted to be a part of this, um, somewhat of a startup, somewhat of a disruptor in the Seattle market, um, because we hadn't seen that brand have a strong presence in the Seattle market at that time. Um, and now we're, I'm happy to say, we're we're doing 78% of the Sotheby's business in the Puget Sound area is is from Real Logics, which is the franchise of Sotheby's that I'm a part of. Wow. Let's let's talk about some of the uh, biggest challenges for you of being the managing broker uh, of of an operation. To clarify, so here in um, Washington, we have the way the licensees work is we are all we're all brokers. That's what the state recognizes us as. They've taken away the agent term, and then there are managing brokers, which allows you to be a team lead essentially and manage a team. And then each office has what's called a designated broker. Um, so so the good news for me is that. I'm not the designated go-to broker for the whole office and, and has to report to or hear from 120 agents on um, different things or needs they may have. I get to um, specifically run my team, which is a smaller team. Um, and that's fantastic. I, I like where I'm at right now with that is just having having a small team of agents to work with. Brian, it's obvious that you and your team have embraced technology and social. Talk a little bit about that process, how they help your business. Uh, because there are still a lot of people in our industry that um, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't say they're fighting it, <laughs> but but they don't do uh, as good a job at adopting as you've done. Anytime a, a piece of technology came out and, and I thought to be a benefit for 
my team and for our clients more importantly everything we take on is got to got to be the best for the end uh, user, if you will, and and that being our clients. Is it going to help our clients? Is it going to help us interact with our clients? Is how we vet pretty much every piece of tech that comes out. Um, and so we know that it will never replace the phone calls. It will never replace the face-to-face meetings. But if it can aid in any way of, of making the transaction smoother, making communication better for our clients, we're willing to take it on. And we really just, for instance, when, um, you know, when, really, when social media came out, I mean, I can remember when there was a MySpace page and <laughs> kind of dates myself a little bit. Um, you know, when Facebook came out, the, the, the book face, or as some, uh, as some people call it, who aren't sure what it is still, but I remember when these social platforms came out and a lot of people were intimidated. You, you still hear things like, well, I'm not putting pictures of my kids on there. I'm not going to say where I'm at. And that's, that's completely fine. You know, we've really found a way to use our social media to, to really relate who we are, to be authentic, to be transparent, and to really show a side of who we are, our, my team, that we don't get to show necessarily with all of our interactions with our clients. I love that I, that, that answer. I love where that heads towards. I mean, when we talk about what we did up in uh, New York and and uh, as ambassadors, the, the authenticity word <laughs> kept coming around and around and around. Conversations and authenticity and how do you let people know who you are? Uh, was a big piece of 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 connect and and you've been um, attending connect events for how long now? Uh, that was my third third connect. So I did um, San Francisco. Uh, I, yeah, spoke at San Francisco, which I was so honored to do, and then was able to share a small bit at uh, Beverly Hills on my top ten productivity hacks, and then um, attended the New York one as an ambassador with you, Bill. And, yeah, it's fantastic. The content is outstanding. And the you know, the difference too is the people who attend, it's just a high caliber person who attend these events. It's really refreshing. We meet amazing people. And I definitely would recommend if, if any of your listeners haven't been to to check out an imminent event. You're able to take things you heard uh, in New York or San Francisco, bring them back and implement them right away, I'm just guessing. Uh, 100%. Things that or when I hear something on stage, I like to just immediately check it out and Google it um, <laughs> and see what, see what it's about. And, you know, sometimes to my detriment where I've, I've missed maybe the last half of the presentation because I'm, I'm stuck on the one thing that they just shared that sounds interesting. But, yeah, I mean, we've, we've already gone back and, and I've had a, an initial meeting with my team on, on just with our social media, on being authentic, being transparent, um, and, and not letting, you know, perfect be the enemy of good before you post out on social or especially on video not try to have it be overproduced but just but doing it and and if there's an error in it or a mistake you know laughing through it so to speak and and make sure you know it presents the image you want to portray about yourself is what i told tell them um but yeah we were able to implement those things right away and, and i'm definitely already seeing that happen you know as you look to the future what are you most excited about in the world of real estate is there something i mean we talked about a lot of that and in New York, um, which one of those really kind of gets you fired up? Oh man, that's, that, that's a great question. I, I'm very happy about the future of, of real estate in the sense of I'm, I'm not scared about it. I don't worry about it. I know that there's always going to be a space in this narrative of buying and selling homes where professionals are there. Professionals are able to provide a service that you just can't get through automation. You just can't get through VR or AI or tech or, or crypto or any, you know, fill in the latest terminology. 
I'm excited about it. I, I know that the service that we're delivering is something that's going to always be warranted and is always going to be welcomed by our clients. Someone from Open Door told me once that uh, that if you if you can be that professional and take care of your customers and and don't lose sight of of what they need, that Open Door will never be a competitor of yours. I mean, does that that's kind of what you're saying, right? I think that's exactly right. I think it's exactly right. I remember, um, I'm sure you do too. So when Zillow was first launched, um, a lot of people thought Zillow wanted to become a, a big brokerage and and take over all MLSs and take on the role of an of agency in a lot of cities. And and we obviously know that's not the case. That's not their end game. And what I was told brokers and, and people on my team in particular was, Zillow is a conversation starter. That, that's all it is. When someone says the estimate's off agree with it. Say it, it, it certainly is. And here's why. And have that be, a, I should come over to your house Saturday night or Friday night. And let's, let, let me show you what the true accurate values for your home. And so no matter what piece of tech comes out, I think there's always going to be a way that we can use it for a conversation starter and, and have that be a win for us as brokers and agents. Whenever I talk to somebody who, who runs a team, I, I like to find out a tip or, or something to watch out for, uh, for people that are, you know, kind of at that point in their career where they think they've got to, you know, make that leap. They're just, they're, they're doing so well that um, they've got, they're going to need help either on the uh, um, admin side or they're going to need help with a buyer's agent. Talk up, talk a little bit about that process for you and what should we watch out for? You know, I would say as far as running a team, it's, it's super important to, to boast wins on the team. So when, when good things happen that we celebrate that we reward that good behavior. So it's just as important when we get that referral from somebody that we immediately send out that Starbucks thank you card to reward that good behavior of that person who just referred someone to us. And we're so thankful for that. But beyond just rewarding good behavior is in celebrating wins is also being intentional, being relational with my team um, and truly being the culture. So if I want to see a team culture change or a culture shift in my team, I'll start being the culture and, and using the nomenclature that I want to see them use, saying the words I want to hear, hear them say or, or the phrases and being intentional with that. And, and at the same time, learning from our hurdles. When something happens, um, not, not talk about it, but, but bring it up and talk about the hurdle, talk about what we learned from it and how we can move on. Brian, I've had you here, you know, the half hour that I asked of you and I, I want to ask you the same question I've asked every other guest on the podcast. And, and that is if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started in the business, what would it be? I'd say the grind, the hustle is real. And not to get too caught up on what you see on TV from, from the Bravo shows or, or the million dollar shows that, that are airing out there. Put in the time, set aside a five-year period. Just like any business, you have to look at a big picture. It's a long game. And a five-year period of a hustle of, of trying to put in 10 to 12 hour days, six or seven days a week before, especially if you're younger and you don't have a family yet, or you don't have responsibilities on that personal side is to put in that hustle, build that book of business and stick with those clients. Think of each client is, is part of a building block to your successful book of business that you're building and think long game. No, there's not one single deal that's worth messing up your long game. Think long game. It's a big picture business. And that's the advice that I would share with someone who's just starting out. Brian, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, so Twitter is at Hopper Group and then Instagram at Hopper Group. And I'll tell you what, any of your listeners who um, come to Seattle, copy is on me. And guys, just direct message me, DM me on either of those platforms at Hopper Group. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to hear about what's happening in your marketplace. And definitely don't hesitate to reach out if you see me at Connect or if you're in my city. Would love to meet you. And Bill, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I love watching the success that you've had with this platform. And and I got to say, meeting you in person and in real life, you are one of the most humble people I've met. Um, I, I wanted just to introduce the other people and be like, do you know who he is? He's amazing. <laughs> and and I love how you just platform us agents and, and make us look good. Um, thank you for doing that. And uh, many much success to you. Wow. That's awesome, Brian. Thank you so much uh, for the kind words. And, and and thank you for everything you're doing. It's it's really fun to watch. And I, I'm really happy that it's voices like yours that are getting up on those stages. So uh, continue fighting that fight. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. Have, have the best day. <laughs>